Welcome to Diplomacy, the podcast for communications in mergers and acquisitions, brought to you by Corporate Diplomat. With our guests, we will discuss how the financial, economic, political and social context can actually impact the value created by a transaction. My name is Louis de Schallemer and I will be your host. Alexander Stahl, welcome to Diplomacy. Thank you for joining us today. What we like at Diplomacy is this, this European touch, the multiple facets of life, diversity of our experiences and the profiles. And I think you have spent quite some time with people, some of it in executive search, some of it in building the qualities that senior executives are using. You have worked throughout your entire life with some of the big names in that industry. I'm glad that we can tap into that one today. Alexander, tell us a little bit who or, or what has made the person that we have today. First of all, thank you, Louis, for having me. Really appreciate the opportunity. <clears throat> Excited to talk with you about M&A, PE, and leadership. So what made me? What a intriguing question to start the podcast. I'm a technologist by heart, I would say. Kind of started early on playing with technology in different facets and still do. And along the way in building a career, there are still a couple of moments I very fondly remember where I was a young management consultant working on very interesting and some not so interesting startups. And what became apparent is that strategy and idea is one component, but people actually bring those to life. And hence, some 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago, I switched into this wonderful professional executive search and, and leadership advisory. And throughout the years, I had the chance to work with some very impressive supervisory boards and CEOs in, in building their organizations and, and leadership teams. And this probably has been the path that led me to being here today. You have seen and, and, and experienced, and you just mentioned it, the, the importance of, of people who make the delivery on, on strategy and, and leadership. So you've seen uh, a number of interactions of results, of sustainable results, recurring results from, from executives, from leaders, from great people, and from people who have evolved throughout the times. How have things changed for, for executives today? What are the expectations? How have you seen that over the last years? What is so different from, from now, especially well, in technology, but even beyond? But because it's more about the people qualities. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can imagine that the last uh, uh, two years have been quite disruptive in terms of leadership and expectations on leaders and supervisors. And, um, you know, this, this new degree of disruption that we've seen and see can actually be an opportunity for transformation and reinvention. And we see some of the examples out there where actually leaders grab that opportunity and some don't. You can see that. They fall behind. Hence, the, the CEO role is changing. 
you know, there are quite some new expectations on what a good CEO looks like. And it gets validated by the stock markets. And hence, CEOs are under quite, quite some surveillance and stress at the moment. Mm-hmm. We, we've certainly looked into this. What, what makes the CEO of the future, right? Now and of the future, let's put it that way, because we've, we've embarked into this journey. So there are constantly more demands on the CEOs just from, a, from the ecosystem surrounding a company. It's not anymore just looking into the company and how a company is, is run, but it is more about what is the social mission of a company? How does it, you know, how does it engage with citizens, customers, shareholders, depending on the importance of a company, even politics? So uh, the amount of demands on a CEO have been, and I'm using your word here, Louis, have become multifaceted. Right, and uh, not everybody's able to to embark on that journey. When we see uh, specifically in, in mergers and acquisitions, we also have this these phases from before, during, and after. Yeah. So in the times of the preparation, from the strategic reflection on on where do you want to go, what is the right fit. That is the period before, then it's this during the negotiation. How do you play this power game? Not spend too much, but still get it, bring enough enthusiasm and, and not just say it's a merge of equals. It is, uh, we are culturally fit and, 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 and whatever, but really going into the depth of what it requires to take um, tens, hundreds, sometimes thousands of people on board and also welcome the new people. And the after, how do you actually translate this integration? How do you make sure that on the ground, people get together, have a framework within which decisions can be taken, why you can't take every decision? How do you see, and from your experience and from your interaction with those who have gone through those processes, what did you learn from, from the best? Or where would you say, what is it really those executives or board members who have done great transactions or successful transactions or sustainable transactions, what did you learn from those? Yeah, yeah, um, quite a bit. <laughs> Usually in, in these transactions, there is a, a heavy focus on financials. And um, at times that probably leads to quite an incomplete view of, of the value of a company. And um, for me, the boards and, and CEOs and leaderships stands out that really understand the intangible capital in a deal and emerge situations. You know, very, very often CEOs focus on the quick wins in the first couple of couple of months, but that that's just the IT, the financial systems, the, the property whatsoever. Aligning the soft facts, so to say. Uh, is is slightly more difficult. And we could think about just putting those intangible capital into maybe two buckets here for the for the sake of our conversation. You know, we could talk about organizational capital and maybe human capital. You know, like organizational capital is kind of the culture, you know, the governance, the agility of an organization, probably also communication and a team working ethos, you know, how do we how do we operate together? And uh, the human capital, we could talk about, you know, certainly leadership capabilities, workforce skills, employee engagement, and productivity, just as an idea. So, and for me, just to come back to your question, like those leaders 
that really embrace it and understand it, they've made a difference in the past. And they've overcome barriers of integration. There are a couple of barriers around this. I could quickly see at least two, three barriers. One is definitely culture. Another one is definitely around leadership. And the other one is around corporate governance and governance in the organization. If you like, very happy to double click on some of those. I think I would love to hear on, on the leadership aspect. Yeah. Is it, it is a question of behavior? Is it a question of individual behavior? Is it a question of organizational behavior? And where do, do executives shape by their own personal example setting individual behaviors? How do they shape the organizational behavior? Just last week, I, I, I suggested in an agenda for an executives for a merger to put down during a tense period, while well, one hour per day where that person should be drinking coffee, being visible, exposure, available for questions, available for informal conversations within the team and the organization. And that should be part of the fixed agenda, not just, oh, now I have my board meeting and my financial meeting and whatever, and I have to go and have a coffee. No, no, no. This should be a structured part of it. So how do you see the difference between these individual behaviors, the example setting, and the organizational structure in it? Well, the, the individual behavior, I guess, comes also a bit with the investment thesis and strategic thesis behind an M&A. So where, where do we you know, actually want to take that organization resulting out of the M&A situation? And you know, sometimes I've seen executives just taking in their due diligence in looking at, at the teams, taking the wrong decisions out of you know, personal likes and dislikes uh, around people. Let's just talk, talk about cho choosing people. Who's going to lead the, the new organization? Who's going to be in and who's going to be out? In which role? So very often, you know, a CEO has a history in an organization and, and proximity to certain individuals. And sometimes they promote those they favor. And sometimes they don't promote those they do not favor. So that, that can certainly hinder a successful integration because at times this is not in line with the strategic intent. I'm, I'm fully with you when, you when you talk about also the responsibility of an executive to, uh, to embrace the organization and take time not only to follow that strategic intent and whatever is on the business agenda, but also you know, foster collaboration, as you said, just having the coffee hour, the open door hour, the walking the shop floor hour, whatever it is, you know. And also, it is totally underestimated that CEOs need to have a lot of empathy. Every, everything that is, has been defined around emotional intelligence, you know, it's, it's tremendously important in these, in these merger situations. The CEO leads by example, and he, he or she needs to understand what's what's on the on the people's mind in order to also win their hearts and get their support and get all their energy for making the the, the transition and the integration happen. Is that something that a CEO can learn? You know, sometimes I still feel, okay, I'm not that old, but old enough. I still feel what 
what would be a message for the next generation? So, okay, sometimes you are already at, at C-suite level, but, but some of the people we interact with and hopefully some of the people who listen to us may also be next gen or just the level before the C-suite. So what would be the things that they should watch out, can watch out or still learn? Because probably once you are already at, at the C-suite level, changing your behavior is difficult. <laughs> so is it, how easy is it to teach empathy to somebody who is at that level? <laughs> yeah, I like that one. Actually, initially talked about the, the uh, CEO for the future. And you know, what we found out that the CEOs, they need an, an immense appetite for learning, like no generation before them, uh, in order to navigate the ship through these very disruptive times that, that we're in and ahead of us. And coming back to your question, can somebody learn that? Yes. Sure. First of all, it starts with self-awareness and a simple self-assessment or done by somebody external can help. Am I more extrovert? Am I more introvert? How do I react to communication situations? How do I behave in stressful situations? Just simply being aware of how one self reacts in certain situations helps them to either build a strategy around it, how to behave in a positive way for an organization or for a mission that needs to be complete, but also it helps to discover where maybe someone needs to work on. And yes, over time, especially with the next generation CEOs, you can work on that. You know, it's a lot about leaving the comfort zone. How do we learn? Yes, we're learning by reading a book or listening to a TED talk or attending a conference or attending a training. But Lou, you, you probably had this in the past yourself. You know, you're fully energized by what you read, what you learned the next day, maybe the day after, and then suddenly it does fade away and sometimes we fall back into old habits. But if we constantly put ourselves in uncomfortable situations, if we put ourselves out of our comfort zone, be it a positive result or being it a failure, that is the true learning and that locks in. And if somebody has the awareness, is mindful about the path to becoming CEO, then there is the ability to learn it. Some just follow opportunities, which is also okay. And you can come to the CEO spot and have learned everything that you need, but that is sheer coincidence. Alexander, you also mentioned the question of, of governance. Your background and your experience in the technology space probably has brought you also to some of the startups and, and all of those spaces. And, and we have seen this quite a lot from when you are a young, small company, you have a profile of a team, a CEO, CFO. So that is the appropriate team um, with the appropriate skill set for a small company. And as the company grows, you start putting in more processes, more governance, compliance, and you're probably setting up a board. So all of those processes that a small company does not need, but once you are collecting funds, getting money from other people, getting funds from external investors, 
you do need to put in place those processes. When we go into large organizations, if we go into M&A, well, it's very rare that we see a full scope of a management team being replaced while the skill set to manage a process of integration may be very different from running a day-to-day management in the company. How do you build, on one hand, the assembly? How do you assemble the skill set that is required for a successful development of the organization? And how do you put in place the governance aspect so that it fits within what you, what you can do and don't go overboard by having a, two complex issues and still a governance that is compliant and, and respectful of shareholders, employees, and, and society? Yeah, it's not an easy answer. There is not one, uh, one size fits all. Mm-hmm. You've sketched the, the spectrum from small to large. It probably all starts with stepping back for a minute and really getting clarity around what is the strategy, the strategic intent of the organization, of the merged entities. So having clarity around what is, let's put it that way, what's the strategy is probably the starting point. And what we also discover, it's not only having clarity around the strategy, because there are a lot of strategies, papers out there, but getting the top team, the stakeholders, the investors, whatever that community of important stakeholders will be aligned around that strategic intent, that strategy. That is super important to have the, the foundation for the next level. When the strategy is clear and the, there are resulting capabilities that are needed for an organization, then it's probably a good moment to look into what do we actually have what are the gaps? And this could be a full-fledged assessment in a large organization, a board assessment, looking into the supervisory board structure and where there may be gaps in terms of capabilities that are required to bring best-in-class supervision to a business, or in the C-suite, looking into capabilities that individuals have and gaps that might be there. But it could also be, in a smaller entity, could be the investors, uh, the founders, just having a very critical look on what is there and whatnot. When, when that is established, then there is clarity and also common language around what is needed and what is not there. And then, well, I know of a couple of executive search firms, one, one in particular that could help. <laughs> filling some of these gaps, either with new individuals joining, replacing some of the existing individuals, or, let's be frank, helping some existing individuals to learn new traits and capabilities that will enable them to be very successful in what they're supposed to do. So, and then on the back of that, well, then there is the whole discussion around governance and processes and something maybe I want to touch on, which is also very important to have in the back of the mind. It is not just the process that will be adapted. That has also an effect on the organization in terms of autonomy 
an impact that some of the individuals used to have in an organization can change to the positive and the negative. And when it changes to the negative, it's tremendously important that the key stakeholders in a business and the supervisory body, whatever the structure is, have clarity around that because then there are a couple of retention strategies that need to be in place. You know, the CTO of a technology business might be at risk. If the CTO leaves, well, the company is at risk. And I think more than ever in these disruptive times, CEOs and chairmen really need to be prepared for that as well. Do you think the technology sector stands out? Not because you know it so well, but do you <laughs> think it stands out because it's different? <laughs> the, or are those trends, are those expectations similar across the industry? I think they're um, similar across the industry and somewhat generic. Uh, it's just a difference in the speed this change takes place and some reactions are required. I mean, I can only talk knowledge in the technology sector now, but there is an increase in, uh, in technology innovation and thereby speed in the business and the requirements for change. But I can easily think about other industries that probably face the same challenges. So there is an underlying tendency that organizations and CEOs and chairmen, they need to increase, and we've all talked about this a lot, but the word fits, their agility, mm -hmm. right? Because now it's accelerating speed. It might be uh, less intense in the future. We don't know what's going to happen. But being flexible enough and having some robust systems around that will probably help. Alexander, we in, I, I realized when, when reviewing my, my guests in, in this podcast that pretty much all of them have multicultural, multinational, multi-country experiences and profiles. So how do you look at those sensitivities when working with different countries? Because yes, we can talk about a global generic textbook approach that's applicable to everybody who speaks English, but Actually, these cultural aspects, these individual behaviors, they are usually embedded in what is appropriate or acceptable or accepted in a local or maybe national or regional context. Do you see any, any major differences there? And, and we don't want to go into the stereotypes, but is there something that we can take out of that lesson? I think that's what the interesting one. So the stereotypes we all know, but is there something where you say, okay, we're talking about cultural integration. We are talking about senior executives, board members, CEOs, C-suite executives, and we're putting them into an organization and say, now do. While the actual local little things are so different, or are they actually not different at all? Because overall human behavior is, has much more commonalities than what we do. I haven't heard this so often, this here it's different, but actually when you scratch the surface, it's exactly the same. Yeah, I'm just thinking about this intriguing question, Louis, and uh, I'm trying not to fall into the classic stereotypes because there are zillions of them out there, right? And um, I was just reflecting on some of the uh, CEO or chairman nominations that have been taking place and 
funnily, I think there is an increase of international transfer of executives, if I may say so. You know, the, the talent markets have become regional or even global. And yes, you might still look for the Belgium CEO because it's kind of feels easier or more closer to one own culture. But actually, we then very often look for the Belgian executive that has spent time in the Silicon Valley and ideally was also in Asia and worked there. So there is a very strong appetite overall to find internationally trained executives because they have this ability to bring best practice. And as, as we've seen this over the last couple of years, the tissue rejection that you probably have found at the beginning in some of the organizations that were focused decently national in their approach, that has softened quite a bit. Sometimes it's a bit of a cultural shakeup in an organization, but that's intended because the organization needs it. Are these executives less successful? No, not at all. I mean, as said, it's the cultural shakeup that's intended. Usually they're very well selected. They have the capabilities needed to transform, to grow, to whatever the business. So um, there is no hindrance in their, their success. It's more kind of an, and coming back to your question, it's more an openness uh, across the board in every culture uh, to find executives that bring something different. And th that different is this international experience and having seen and experienced best practice. Hope that answers the question. Mm -hmm. It was a tough one. I know that. Yeah, it was a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, I can I can actually not not see in anything else. I mean, they're 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 all. I mean, sometimes there are just literally requirements by organizations, but that I, I wouldn't go there because you know, over in general, everybody's pretty open to to different cultures. Alexander. What I liked in our conversation, I put down three things. One, and that was the first one that you articulated, was the alignment of stakeholders. And the second one, which was an attribute you said for the, for the CEO of today and the future, is this awareness of the, of the complexity of the ecosystem. And maybe the awareness of the complexity of the ecosystem comes before the alignment of the stakeholders. So <laughs> knowing where to go and then you can make the alignment, maybe it's the, the different order. And I think the, the third lesson learned, which I would uh, take away, is this capacity, this learning capacity and learning capability and the willingness for this agility to adapt, to, to rethink. What would be, as your closing words, the, your last advice or your recommendation or the easy tip to take away? How many pieces of sugar do I need to put into my coffee or how much milk? What is the last tip of advice that you would give to our audience? Well, first of all, um, really wonderful summary. I couldn't have summarized it better. And just a personal tip for you, don't take too much sugar and milk. It's not healthy. <laughs> now, let's talk about the CEOs of the future just being open, inquisitive, agile, wanting to learn, that will make a big difference. But coming with that, and we've seen that in 
quite a number of CEOs, there needs to be humility about what the CEO does and how he or she approaches the organization, the society. That will make the difference for the future. That was a beautiful closing, Alexander. Thank you very much. <laughs> Pleasure. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Enjoy the day and talk to you very soon. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Diplomacy. Please explore our website, www.corporate-diplomat.com or our LinkedIn page. I hope you have enjoyed. Feel free to subscribe and hit the follow button. Have a great day.